to the Elite Formula Physio and Training Podcast with me, Bradley Skeynes. And me, Matthew Murray-Downing. This podcast is all things Formula One and sports performance, fitness, health and injury. We will be discussing the physical and mental components of Formula One, the drivers and every circuit race by race as the season goes on, broken up with insight and knowledge in how to train, recover and rehab like an elite level athlete. And we'll even bring along some special guests for the ride. For more information, you can find us at Elite Formula PT on socials. Hello, and welcome back to the Elite Formula Physio and Training Podcast. And we have to start with an apology first because we said we were back and we were coming back week on week, and then off we went traveling again and flaked out, didn't we, Matt? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a interesting, a busy start to the year, but no, good to be back. Yeah, it has been very. It's been pretty crazy. You know, we've obviously come from F one, F two, where it's been super busy preseason and, and and stuff. And we thought we we're going to have a quite a couple of months, and we've been involved in more race series than uh, than we thought we would be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's growing by the second. But no, it's brilliant, and we're. Uh, <laughs> I'm also currently just currently sat outside. First time I've done an outdoor podcast. We're just coming off the back of our um, Olympic prep now, which is, is is counting down in the gymnastics world as well. So that world's starting to really kick off and into second gear. Everyone's getting prepped up and starting to get into into full comp modes. So that's getting very busy. That's very cool. So is it at the stage now where training is shifting to like practice competitions? Yeah. So we, for a lot of the guys, they have a, a big comp this weekend followed by a little two-week kind of taper and then they have English which is a really big competition obviously UK based and then really that'll be the last big comp until the Olympics so yeah it's um, everyone's got game heads on now and, and, and big focus the, the next few months yeah it's getting closer and closer isn't it so you know and this time as well you probably get the nerves start to kick in as well are they ready enough have they got enough time to hone that that preparation you know, you don't want to get injured as well. So you've got to be super careful with that because, you know, the Olympics only comes around every four years. It's not that you can just go again next season. So there's all that to think about as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, as you say, there's a lot of different pressures for different athletes, you know, for the guys who perhaps may have picked up injuries, you know, a late part of last year, perhaps they're trying to, you know, build in new skills or hone things in. So they perhaps feel a little bit of pressure to have a bit more volume this time of year, whereas perhaps some of the athletes that have a bit you know perhaps less bumps in the road last year or perhaps being able to take their foot off the gas from a volume point of view anyway at this point in the year and therefore kind of feel a bit more comfortable but yeah yeah it's quite a high pressure point of the year everyone fills up the clock they're running out of a bit of time but they're all well prepared it's just you're just trying to keep sure that we keep niggles to a minimum and everyone feeling confident so yeah i think the trick of this time of year is just to keep the atmosphere light yeah. definitely a, a steely focus to what we're doing but at the same time trying to keep you know focused on the goals but also making sure we get that downtime and keep everyone as relaxed as we can yeah no that's very cool and this is a question completely for a, a, another podcast and another deep dive but are there any any common injuries uh, that you're seeing at the moment yeah so we're seeing um, an awful lot of lower back pain Classic, you know, the, the the volumes are picking up, a lot of comp prep, people have to do routines and whatnot, so we're seeing an awful lot of lower back pain. In some of our younger gymnasts as well, we started to see, particularly in the, the boys, we're seeing a lot of wrist kind of overuse and kind of repetitive strain style injuries as well, so the wrists start kicking off a little bit this time of year as well, but they generally are the, are the main two we're seeing, but as a whole, actually, I think there's been a real push this year, and the bunch that, that, that I look after down here, I'm sure you remember, Brad, but a big, you know, 
these guys trying to work on their S&C this year and it's definitely had a really positive impact on the injuries we're seeing at this point in the season. We're seeing a lot less and the guys seem strong and a bit more robust. So that's been really helpful. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and I think, you know, we're, we're, certainly when I started there and when you came in, we, we led a bit of a shift into that, didn't we, in terms of just adjusting their S&C programs a little bit. For me, you know, these gymnasts, they're always doing high rep S&C stuff and, you know, stepping away a little bit doing some lower rep stuff, some more heavy loading stuff just seemed like the right thing to do um, to, to reduce the risk of further overuse injuries. And especially for some of the older guys who, you know, they've done quite a few reps in their time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite an interesting time. Actually. I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely a younger group that are coming through this year, which is certainly quite interesting. Obviously we've got mm. um, a few older athletes as well, but it's, you know, like you saw, it, it's quite an interesting how we alter the training load to those different individuals and making sure it suits them. But definitely the strength work and the gymnastics work key in keeping them injury free, particularly in a, in a sport where there is just so much volume constantly. They, they don't have an off season really. And it's, it's, it's pretty intense for them. Yeah. No, there isn't really. It's just for a competition to competition, to competition. And, uh, the, it definitely takes the, the toll on the body, but yeah, no, it's a good point to make. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of transference for athletes doing low rep, heavy loading stuff that, you know, can really make them more robust athletes in, in pretty much any sport that, that you do. Certainly all the sports that I've worked in. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a unique, uh, it's certainly a unique sport. It's, uh, as you say, it's just a lot of uh, a lot of carryover and transfer. But yeah, it's super interesting time of year. It's great watching the guys kind of come into their own here and... Um, yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. It just makes for a certainly an interesting Christmas period for them coming off the back of it because they don't get the downtime that other sports do. So, you know, it's mm. been really great to watch, and they're uh, they're certainly I think anxious to to, to get started into comps. Yeah, no, that sounds uh, sounds good. And um, me talking about all the sports I've worked in leads me to a, a, a nice uh, a plug for my upcoming course, which I said I was going to put on uh, today. So um, you're going to have to humor me now, Matt. But um, <laughs> so um, the complete sports uh, practitioner mentorship starts up in exactly four weeks. Well, not exactly four weeks, but almost uh, four weeks time. It's going to be a six week mentorship with myself. And each of those six weeks has a, has a different topic. So you know, one week we're looking at communication with athletes and stakeholders within the whole sporting setup. The next week we'll be looking at clinical skills within elite sport. And then final week we'll kind of dive into jobs how to get jobs where to look for jobs how to do your cv and write your cover letter how to prepare for the interviews and the weeks will be made up of some online content so there'll be some online lectures and webinars and then there'll be a live session each week with myself as well which will have a topic but it'll be a big sort of q a as well there'll be some materials to to get stuck into and we're going to have a private Facebook members group, which will be really important for everyone, you know, one for learning, our learning as well, but also that building of a network of sports physios where we can learn from one another, we can share jobs, we can share tips, you know, link people in, create a, a nice community there. And just before this podcast, we, we were talking about you know, we've had a number of contracts come into us just this week, haven't we? In in motorsport, single seaters, endurance, super bikes, where you know we're looking to place physios and and hopefully this kind of building of 
of the mentorship and and the community will help us to to be able to do that as well so so yeah no, I'm, I'm really excited for it and you've done some mentorship before haven't you Matt how, how did you get on with that someone who's been there done there got the t-shirt made mistakes along the way you know we all know we're going to make mistakes on that journey but actually having someone who can guide that journey you know make sure that the time that you are spending on developing yourself is really focused time i think invaluable particularly in a world like sport you know i think it's a it's a, it's a growing world you know it's it's seen as the sexier side of physio and therefore there's a lot of competition so actually being able to set yourself apart and i think engage in something like a mentorship program i think is is, is invaluable personally in, in my career so i think yeah anyone who's debating it look go for it it'll be the best, best bit of money you ever spend without a doubt yeah i love that and for me just kind of reiterating that it's um you learn a lot on you know from the lectures and from the, the course structure and stuff but probably the most you learn is you know just being able to ping a message at times you know drop a message into the into the chat or the group and and have you know myself or you or anybody else within that group reply to that or link you in with somebody else and 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 have a you know a, a short conversation about those and and those things are lifelong they're not just you know yes i I learned lots from Brad's six-week course, but actually one year down the line, I'm still talking to Brad now that I'm in the sports role and, you know, we can just drop it onto onto this this group. So I think that's what I'm most excited about and, and, and building that kind of community from there. Absolutely. And as you say, even, you know, not just with your, your mentor yourself, you say things like building community, like you're saying, Brad, on Facebook and whatnot, you know, it's great to just start to network with like-minded individuals. You know, I say anyone who's willing to give up you know, their evenings, their weekends to engage in CPD and develop for themselves are probably the right kind of people to be involved with. So, you know, I always think, you know, it, it, it's it's you know, worthwhile time on all fronts. I think it's a brilliant thing for, for people to get involved in. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's brilliant. Good. So that is there. Um, you can sign up on the website, www.completepractitioner.com or feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or whatever platform and uh, I can send you the link or we can have a, a further conversation about it. Those already signed up, looking forward to, to seeing you get started with you and those that are thinking about it, come and uh, come and join us. <laughs> cool. So we are, we're not, uh, we're like a few days away from F1 testing, aren't we, mate? Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's flown around to be honest. I think the, um, yeah, the drama of the Ferrari and Mercedes driver changes has been uh, suddenly got everyone's attention to F1 and the fact that testing is imminently happening. It's so weird when you're, you're not fully into pre-season, you kind of, it, it's actually come around a bit quicker, which is which is super interesting. But uh, but yeah, it's upon us. Um, pre-season it will be pretty much done. I always used to see testing as kind of like the final bit of pre-season because it's that sport-specific stuff which adds the... You know, starts to add the chronic load back into the neck and, you know, getting the drivers physically fit within within the car. So you'd kind of arrive to testing, you know, maybe around 90% and testing would add the add the rest of it. Yeah, three guys and were out in Bahrain uh, last week doing their bit of testing as well. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's all go. Um, anything that you'd be uh, adding in at the moment or really focusing on part of that kind of end point of pre-season? The conversation with uh, Henry the other week for Aston Martin was just, it's a great opportunity for us at this point. You know, a lot of the drivers, depending on how you look at next strength work, actually for a lot of us they don't they'll they'll have bits and bobs dotted throughout their off season but actually as we're coming into this period around bar you know coming into testing 
probably a good opportunity to start dropping in some of that more driving specific strength work just in preparation for testing. Um, we're going to get a lot of that from being in the car anyway. So actually, as you say, that testing, we really kind of finalise the thing off. Um, we'll probably look to uh, kind of still have a good level of intensity to the sessions, but we'll probably start to drop the volume off a little bit at this point, um, just so we can get the, the guys and girls feeling a little bit fresher coming into pre-season testing. But that'd be the main changes, really, keeping it sport-specific, dropping that volume off, but keeping the intensity fairly high uh, coming into testing. Yeah, yeah, you start to think, you know, minimal effective dose, you don't want to be sore getting into the car, but... Uh, maintaining that intensity is super important to, to to maintain what you've managed to build up over over the off season, and uh, I'm sure drivers are excited to to get back in the car and and out of the gyms. Absolutely, yeah. As you say this is the bit everyone kind of trains for now. It's the you know the, the bit everyone looks forward to. So yeah, getting in the cars is always a nice nice opportunity to kind of see where you stand, and also another almost bit of a, a data point you know see how how you are in the car how your general feeling is and uh, get some laps under your belt yeah start to see who's going to be uh who's going to be quick this year and who's going to be challenging absolutely yeah no and it's it's always an interesting um spell for testing even for some of the younger drivers as well obviously an opportunity to get into the new car see how things feel and get a feel for an f1 car as well away from the, the, the kind of main guys on the grid as well so it's always a good opportunity for us with our developing drivers to kind of have a look at things and see how well are they how well are they prepared are they near that baseline and to give them a bit of a feel for how the car is yeah no sounds good so we'll be uh excited to see how testing goes we'll do a bit of we'll do a bit of a recapping on it you know from the the physical kind of side of it you know these drivers are going to put in some serious serious laps so kind of having a look at that will be uh will be a bit of fun for us um next week so uh watch out for for certainly next week's podcast and and, and the week after where we kind of break down the that side of that side of testing for the drivers because uh, the technical stuff will be uh, trawled over by all the experts in that sense so we'll take our spin on it and and hopefully give you some good information on uh, on that but we have another sport on our on our radar at the moment don't we Matt the the fastest growing sport in the world we do indeed I actually played on Monday evening myself I got dragged into a game and kind of uh, swung my way around the paddle court so it was very good yeah yes and and it's kind of still an F1 topic isn't it because tons of the F1 drivers have been playing padel and, and using that as part of their you know cardiovascular training or endurance training I know we did a lot of it and I played a, with a lot of the the drivers as well over in Monaco and and all around the world because we were booking courts on on race weekends come the end of the season so it's a good way to get you know an hour and a half two hours of of cardio work isn't it yeah absolutely it's a great sport I've seen Demi played in blow off some steam at the same time yeah relatively safe and you know relatively activity for us to be playing so it's a great one for us to do with the drivers and uh, as you say it's, it's growing in popularity so it always goes down well yes it is relatively safe but you know, we still have to be careful. We still have to take precautions. You can get a lot of overuse injuries. And we're going to dive into one of those today, which, you know, you wouldn't want a driver driver to get. So we'll, we'll get into that. But just as a general overview, most of the injuries that actually occur in Padau, similar to tennis, are surprisingly, surprising or not, are actually located in the, in the lower limbs. So over, uh, if you were to have 10 injuries, you would expect, four to five of those injuries to be in the lower limbs, so the legs, three to four in the upper limbs, so the, the arms, and, and, and then one to two to the to the trunk. So surprising for you, Matt, or, or did you kind of think that was uh, along the lines? I'd say almost historically kind of a 50-50 split of kind of ankle-based injuries, you know, the classic, you know, rolling of the ankle. 
and then actually a lot of as you say upper limb injuries shoulders elbows wrists etc so yeah i kind of think it fits with what we've been seeing in clinical practice and, and sounds about right yeah it's surprising and i i do wonder whether it's a reporting thing as well actually because when i first read that i kind of thought i, I would have thought elbow shoulder and i get you know rolled ankles knee pain and i just wonder whether you know sometimes the bits of pain that they might feel in the forearm or in the shoulder either one don't get reported as much or or two maybe don't need to uh, as much time loss injury as um as maybe like an ankle sprain or a, a knee injury might do um, yeah so you know there, there's potential for for that as well but yeah certainly had a, a, a i had some nice healthy debates with some uh, uh um professionals as to no, that's not what they see. They see more more upper limb, but um, but it's interesting. So, yes, you expect slightly more injuries to the lower limb, but actually, if we look at the a singular injury, the elbow is still the most injured part in in padel, and that accounts for almost twenty percent of total injuries in 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 padel. So, um, so that's still quite a bit. Games are fairly lengthy. And therefore, you know, we, we start to see those injuries appear. And we're going to dive into the elbow now, but just quickly. So just a run through of, uh, so we had a post that went out, uh, top seven Padel injuries. So elbow was at the top, knee injuries was second, uh, lower back pain was third, plantar fascia pain was fourth, and then it was shoulder, tennis leg, or we termed it Padel leg, and that's actually a calf injury for anybody. Uh, I don't think I shared my uh, my Instagram post. I need to go back to that. But that's a calf injury, and then the final one was actually eye injuries. There's a there's an increase in eye injuries in uh, in Padel, um, which that ball flies around pretty quick, so you can uh, you can imagine that. Sometimes you don't even see it come off the wall, or I don't anyway. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so talk to me about um, uh, the elbow there. So. Most commonly, uh, subcategory of elbow injury is uh, lateral epicondylopathy. So it's a bit of a bit of a word, but it's tendinopathy. The elbow, with the most common tendon affected being the extensor carpi radialis uh, brevis tendon. So yeah, talk talk to me about what that is, Matt. What goes on there, and and what people should look out for. Yeah, so obviously it's categorized. You summed up nicely. I always talk to patients around the idea of we have. I split the the forearm into kind of flexor tendons and extensor tendons. So if you were to mm. lift your wrist up, for example, that would kind of highlight the muscle bulk around the outside of your elbow, which we would call our extensor tendons. Now, typically, uh, obviously a sport. Uh, uh, racket-based sports obviously you a lot, lot of hitting shots and also your arm acts as one big lever and often what we see uh, when we talk about tendons we talk a lot about load and capacity um, all of us can cope with a certain amount of load in terms of whether that's the peak force that we put through that arm and forearm or it could be the total amount of force so over a duration of time for example be that half an hour 45 minutes 60 minutes etc if either of these are uh, exceeded now in an isolated short period of time you know if you had one session for example our body's actually quite well equipped to deal with these short periods of overload but if perhaps that overload was to be too great and we cause some tissue damage or if actually we overloaded that tissue over an extended period of time then potentially we might start to experience some pain persistent pain symptoms which would generally be categorized generally pain around the kind of outside of the elbow on the kind of uh, outer border of the, the kind of uh, ball circle there, 
or even some forearm. This can often be seen, yes, during uh, the sport itself, but also during daily tasks where you might be picking something up, pouring the kettle, um, or you know, lifting a briefcase, for example. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and actually, you know, it can it can come in waves as well. You know, every tennis player, every Fidel player will probably have some form of tennis elbow, lateral epicondylophy happening at the time. And, and as you rightly say, you know, it's about whether the load applied through there goes over what they can cope with. I know when, <laughs> actually, <laughs> so two funny stories really. So I always noticed I had a bit of tennis elbow when I was working in clinic a lot and I'd do a lot of hands-on stuff. And, you know, yeah, I always would get a little bit sore if you had a kind of full day of that. The other time that I had bad tennis elbow or, or lateral epicondylopathy or epicondylitis, whatever you want to call it, is when we started picking up a load of trophies in F1 and I was having to ca- I was having to carry the trophy and the helmet and the bags back after the race. And I had really bad tennis elbow in both uh, both elbows. That's a great problem. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's proper like first world performance coach problem to have, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's a tendinopathy. It's an overuse injury caused by that continual contraction of the the muscles of the of the forearm. What's interesting is more commonly affects novice players compared to professional or elite. Uh, there are a few reasons, sort of hypothesised why that might be. Recreational players are more likely to hit uh, their backhand strokes with their wrists in a more flexed position, which means, one, the extensive muscles and tendons are uh, under tension from a, from a lengthened point of view, and they're eccentrically contracted, so they're working a lot harder. And elite-level players apparently increase their risk extension just before the full contact. So that would be one uh, kind of reason why there would be that difference. It also might be just because elite players and pro players have played a ton more and have built up really good chronic load and capacity in there as well. <laughs> so I don't know whether yeah. they, whether that particular study looked at uh, looked at that, but that probably be my uh, my go to reason. And the and the other common cause is actually just the vibrations when the the racket hits the ball. And I was reading a, a cool article that the Padel brands are actually trying to develop rackets that reduce these vibrations because they've got a little bit more adaptability of what they can do with the racket there's lots of different shapes and sizes and materials that you can use unlike a kind of tennis racket so i thought that was quite cool from a sports yeah absolutely um sports technology uh sort of uh, look on it yeah no absolutely and i wonder if one of the other things about it, i mean i always think i've mentioned to people if you're a physio or you're a, you know someone suffering with tennis elbow and you're listening is also you know, we're, we're very quick also to look at the load. And for most people, actually, it's a load or, or tolerance issue. But actually, you know, looking at the recovery is really important as well. You know, we know that, you know, our body is designed to deal with a, a relative amount of overload. So, you know, making sure you're looking at, you know, things like your quality of your sleep. That's where our body, our restorative phase of sleep and deals with any inflammatory change in those tendons and, and looks to develop and build. That's really, really key. You know, it's a social sport. You know, so I always talk about alcohol as well. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got someone who's playing regularly and socially drinking a lot with it, we know that's also going to have a big impact in your body's ability to deal with that load and reduce that tolerance. So, you know, just keeping on the drinking as well in the more social games is really, really key as well. So um, recovery is definitely a key point I would try and make sure we're looking at when we're talking about any tendinopathy style injury. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that leads in, into nicely. So treating it, getting it better. One, you have to look at the load and the capacity of that individual. Two, you have to look at all those holistic factors, diet, nutrition, sleep, recovery. You know, you can do all the physio treatment and all the rehab work in the world but if someone's having terrible sleep only sleeping a few hours high stress in sport or work then they're going to get better anyway but we get all those right how can we treat it and rehab it yeah so absolutely so i think the initial thing is always a hard thing if you're right the conversation with someone about potentially reducing the, the amount that they're doing often it doesn't need to be drastic often i would say to most patients actually depending on the severity of their symptoms your physio should be able to advise you on the level of modification i think you found this this week but actually about you know just about picking you know how do we decide or come to the decision about how much load we're going to take away from you now once you've taken that load away we're looking to see an almost immediate reduction in your symptoms which should hopefully allow us to give you some strength-based exercises particularly around those extensor tendons so generally you'll see a lot of extension-based exercises pronation and supination for example um, where we're looking to strengthen and build the capacity of that tendon so that when we when we start to bring your load back in your arm is able to cope with that increase in load and volume. Yeah, absolutely. And then any treatment techniques around it? Yeah, so I think it's one of the areas that responds really positively to the hands-on at times. There's a bit of a pain modality, a little bit of soft tissue work. We can have some really good with some taping. Some people may have seen kind of the elbow straps. Um, I find them a bit hit and miss. Some people find them very effective, some people don't. And in the more persistent tendon issues, Shockwave is definitely a treatment to explore as well in terms of, again, trying to reduce that pain and promote change around that tendon it's again another really effective modality that we use in clinic for those chronic ones that kind of go on beyond that kind of three month mark that can be a really effective treatment yeah the, the tennis straps i'm i'm also neither here nor there with it i i mm. love taping for tennis elbow i think taping technique you can do is really super effective but it's because you can apply the tape in one a certain direction and two you can you know, get it tight and secure and supportive around that area to, to stress shield for some of that force going through the tendon. Whereas with the strap, I, I find you just can't get the same purchase on yeah. offloading that extensor area where the muscle leads into the tendon. So yeah, I lo love taping for it. I've actually got a video on Instagram. I'll have to post that up when we put this, um, when we put this Todd out. But the taping technique is really good relieves pain look it's not going to get it better but it relieves pain it might keep you going if you've got some important events coming up but yeah the tennis straps um you know some people do find them very helpful so you know not not to rule them out totally and it's hard to always have to tape your, your elbow every day and you know yeah. and get some irritation in the skin and stuff so that's where the straps can become really really effective but yeah sometimes just not as uh not as good as getting a, a really good tape job on it no and a lot of the time what we see them in clinic i mean personally as i say i often say to patients that look actually you know these are hit and miss the straps but also they're quite difficult to put on you know we need to be your anatomy of where you're placing the strap needs to be pretty good and actually you have to be quite aggressive to get the effect the desired effect so often actually a lot of the time they're either not worn correctly uh, or they're quite uncomfortable to wear when done properly. So it can be a really tricky one to use. So similar to yourself, Brad, I'm, I'm, I would always lean towards nothing or taping generally to, to make it a bit more bespoke and a bit more comfortable for the person wearing it. Yeah, that's cool. So bits of treatment that we can do rehab wise, any go-to exercises? Yeah. So I kind of split mine into kind of stages. So the initial stage or the most irritable stage, I'm a, I'm a big fan of some, some isometric loading. So wrist extensor stuff. 
certain way, literally put, putting your hand or something on top of your wrist and going into an extended position is always a good one to do. Uh, also a big fan of introducing some pronation and supination drills. Again, it's a great way of loading up that extensor tendon. And again, in that first phase, I'll often try and keep that quite isometric. So where we're just pushing against the resistance and not looking for movement. This has a great analgesic effect. Uh, it's a great way of kind of getting pain levels under control. And then normally what I'll do is I'll, I'll mirror those exercises slightly as we move into kind of phase two, where I'll start to kind of move into more concentric movement. Again, looking at extensive, uh, extensor movements, uh, pronation, supination, looking at some work around the bicep as well to really just making sure we're strengthening both above and below that joint. And then taking it through to stage three, we want to, we want to kind of change that load a little bit. So I often start to introduce some catch and drop drills, um, some drills that perhaps we increase the kind of velocity of the movement to start mimicking some of the forces and getting that adaption in the tendon to some some higher graded loading sounds like uh sounds like a great rehab plan to me yeah i do exactly the same you know, start off with some isometrics build up tolerance from there whilst uh reducing some pain and then moving into all that extensive work i, I guess just a couple of things to add in when working on the more isotonic movements working with a bent arm and a straight arm i find this super important because these muscles these tendons go through various different angles and then when you come to doing a good eccentric component just making sure that's nice and slow nice and controlled and there's good good time under tension and then yeah as you said taking it the whole way not just stopping on that bit of strengthening making sure you're working the shoulder the bicep making sure you're getting into dynamic stuff dropping catching throwing and then finishing off with your sport specific stuff before you get back to sport i know we've talked about these phases a lot but it's always worth you know revisiting because a lot of people just don't take their rehab far enough and end up coming back a little too soon or just not strong enough not not with the right tolerance and re-injuring a bit too quickly yeah absolutely i mean and, and there's we've got some really good data now coming out there was a paper we saw released not that long ago now about you know probably the most common cause of recurrence seems to be that that patients aren't doing loading exercises for long enough we know that that tendon recovery it takes you know as long as six months of being consistent with your exercises so for those of us that perhaps you know do our exercises and we're kind of three or four weeks in and we may be seeing improvement and then we stop you know it dramatically increases our chance of getting that to come back because we're probably not seeing the change in that tendon that we want to see so staying consistent with it trying to keep motivation that was high and sticking that you rehab is really important when it comes to tendons yeah love that brilliant mate we've delved into quite a bit today so thank you mate that was really good no it was brilliant no it's uh, we could talk all day on tendons we really could that's for sure that's for sure but we definitely haven't got all day you know we can talk about other tendons another time and uh we're going to have lots to delve into over the coming weeks with the the season really kicking off and, and ramping up now. So I'm going to let you get on. Enjoy your evening. It's uh, it's getting a little bit late here in Dubai, so I need to get some sleep. And yeah, thank you everyone for, for listening. As always, like, subscribe, all that jazz on whatever platform you're listening to. And we will... I'm going to say we will try and be back next week because we, we're not very good at this at the moment, but we're going to get better, we promise. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll fire it up. Looking forward to it. The season's coming around fast now. So, yeah, lots of exciting news on it. Cheers, Matt. Thank you, mate. You have been listening to the Elite Formula PT podcast with Bradley Skeynes and Matthew Murray-Downing. You can follow us on socials at Elite Formula PT or sign up on the app 
at eliteformulapt.com. Please follow, subscribe, and if you enjoyed the podcast, why not leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Be sure to tune in for the next episode, and thank you for listening.